Welcome back in listening to another wonderful episode of Whisper in the Wings from Stage Whisper. We are joined by two incredible guests with an amazing and timely show to share with you today. Joining us, we have Stephen Wong, the playwright, and Jessica Burr, the director of the upcoming show Misconceptions, which is being presented by Blessed Unrest May 11th through June 3rd at 122 CC Theater here in New York. And you can get tickets and more information by visiting blessedunrest.org. So with all of that, Steve, Jessica, welcome to Whisper in the Wings from Stage Whisper. Thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you for having us. Yeah, thank you. I'm very excited to speak to you both about this great show, as I mentioned, this timely show. So, Steve, if I could start with you as the playwright, could you tell us about misconceptions? This is a script I've been working on for 13 years. It was interesting, you know, Recently, with the with the over, overthrow of Roe v. Wade, I had to do a bunch of rewriting because this is a play that's about uh, abortion, about pregnancy and abortion, and about a woman who's making a decision about that. But I I, I felt like you know when when I was thinking about what to say on your program, I I thought to say it's not just a play about that subject; it's a play about how we listen to points of view we don't agree with. It's a play about sacrifice, real emotional sacrifice, and but also literal sacrifice. And it's a play about what's important, about perspective. It, it, it ends up asking a question about from what perspective are we are we looking at the question of, of abortion? And I guess finally I'd want to say it's also a play about fiction and nonfiction. You know what? I was one of the writers of the Laramie Project, and I've worked on a number of plays that are verbatim, you know, nonfiction plays. But in this play, it it began with a number of actual interviews, but it's a fiction inside of which the nonfiction exists, and and there are questions in it about what is real. It presents some things that are, you know, absolutely factual. It's got a, a whole scene that's about the killing of a doctor who was running an abortion clinic, that a newspaper scene, as it were, it's reportage, but it's it's got another scene that's a couple of scenes that are really quite fantasy based, and how do we exist in a world where the question of what is real can be entertained seriously? And I guess I'll say one last thing, which is that the question of what is serious. This play is often very funny, but that doesn't mean it isn't serious. I love that though. And I love the way you put that. It's a show that invites people to see multiple points of view. That's a really great point and what a timely idea. So how did you come up with the idea for the show? I, I was working on another show that was about the impossible gap between fundamentalist Christians and humanists in the United States. We interviewed people on both ends of that spectrum about meaning and life and God and abortion and a whole lot of questions where the, those two ends of the spectrum have difficulties listening to each other. And two of the people we interviewed for that show, one was a woman named Frances Kissling, 
who was the president of an organization called Catholics for Free Choice. And she said some amazing, powerful things that are now in this show about why it's so frightening to think that that women could have control over both life and death. And then we interviewed a, another woman who had grown up in a very conservative family and had uh, gone with her parents when she was a child to pro-life demonstrations uh, against an abortion clinic in Kansas. And then when she found herself pregnant, went to that same clinic to get abortion pills. And listening to her was so striking the way she was examining the questions. And so her testimony also appears in this play. So it began with those interviews. But then um, I was living at the time in Colorado and began working with a theater company in Colorado. And we all brought in different material for, to write a play that was going to be on this subject. Since then, it's been through a lot of changes. It's been especially wonderful working with Jessica and Blessed Unrest, with their making space during which it was possible to see what can be said in front of an audience and what needs say. And so uh, Jessica directed a two-week workshop on this material in 2019, but then there was a little COVID. So it's been delayed until now. And that is a perfect segue to my next question, which I want to bring Jessica in for this, which is what has it been like developing misconceptions? And Jessica, you are the director. How, how has this been going? It's been thrilling, really. It's been an honor to be part of the development of this piece. It's a it's a really massive piece of theater. There's so much information contained so elegantly inside of a structure that uh, is is that Steve described really beautifully as being, you know, nonfiction inside of fiction. But the structure itself, I find to be very beautiful. And I have a weakness for structure and for beauty. It's deeply personal and very intimate. And at the same time, it escapes into magical realism at times. So finding the the sort of balance of the scale of the very, very micro inside of this very, very macro world has been just a joy, really. And and working with a group of really talented, really courageous actors who are simultaneously daunted and so on fire about this project. Yeah, it's been an absolute pleasure. Going along with that, what is the message or thought you're hoping that the audiences will take away from the show? I object a bit to the question. I I don't. I I, I don't. I don't want to tell anyone what to think about anything ever. I find the concept to be offensive. This play is an act of resistance, and so in attending this performance, you are participating in an act of resistance. This is intended only to wake you up, to give you a space to consider something that you've never considered before and to 
for me on the most fundamental level, what theater does is it creates compassion. It creates compassion because you are in a room witnessing people having real experiences. This is where the courage and bravery of my actors is so important because they're not pretending, right? We're not faking, we're not playing at. We're, we're creating an environment where things can actually happen. When we as humans witness these things happening, our mirror neurons respond as though we were experiencing them. That's how our bodies work. So by virtue of being in that space, we're creating neural pathways that are effectively compassion because you understand in your body someone else's perspective in so far as your, your brain is contained inside of your body, which we often forget. Wow, what a what a great answer. I love that. Steve, as the playwright, is there a message or thought you're hoping audiences take away? It, it was so wonderful to hear what Jessica said there. Because <laughs> you know, I, I also thought, oh, he's gonna ask that kind of question. And my and my impulse was the same as Jessica was like, oh, God forbid I should say what audiences should take away. I mean. I, that's 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 their business, um, my, my my business, but but in relationship to that, there is some business that that I have, you know, as as a as a person making a play. It isn't a matter of what they should take away, but rather of what kind of experience could they have that would allow them to take something away, and and I think about Thornton Wilder's. Thornton Wilder, when when he when he wrote the preface to his three big plays, he talked about why he had started writing plays, and he said he started writing plays because he really hated nineteenth-century drama because nineteenth-century drama, he said, tried to be soothing. A phrase of his was that it 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 was to satisfy and pacify audiences which were assured of eternal life in the next world, and in this squarely seated on property and the privileges that accompany it. And that he wanted to make plays. And he said those plays in the 19th century helped audiences avoid asking questions which should not be asked because they were uncomfortable. And he wrote Our Town, which is a wonderful, sweet play that everyone loves. And at the same time, it asks questions about life and death that one dares not ask, that are so wonderfully uncomfortable. And he sneaks up on you, you know, he, he, it, it's, all, it's all very charming. And then you're in the third act listening to dead people talk. And I, I can't compare what we've done to Thornton Wilder. There's nothing as good as our town, nothing. But I, I do think that, the, that there's an effort on our part to help audiences realize that it's possible, even wonderful, to be uncomfortable. That we think it's unbearable to listen to people who disagree with us. We think it's unbearable to, under, to face certain emotions, to... to think about death, uh, you know, one of the questions that comes up in this play is, oh, did my mother think of having an abortion when she was pregnant with me? And that's the kind of question uh, that's uh, 
pretty uncomfortable to ask. And the center of it is not the question about abortion, but the question about, is it okay to feel that kind of personal discomfort? The place, as Jessica was referring, where something is really a personal, personal, deep thing, and at the same time, a political question. And how does how does one live holding that, that sort of discomfort? And so I'm, I would be hopeful that the audience can come to a place where they feel like, wow, that was difficult and really interesting and bearable, that we're strong enough to, to bear, that we don't have to shy away from what we think of as being not I or unbearable, that we can have empathy that spreads wide enough to contain all kinds of things that are not normal for us. Yes. Yeah. Jessica, I want to ask you now, who do you hope have access to misconceptions? Everyone. Every, I mean, I I really hope that that people from all sides, from all walks of life, can attend. I have family who are who are staunchly right wing, who I hope can show up. Can I respond to Steve's last response a little bit? Because yeah. I just, it's such an interesting idea that it, how does one create an environment where these things, these unbearable things, can be heard? And that is a large part of what I see as my job is to create a space where you are at once attended to and taken care of and to a degree safe. And it's a space of great risk taking. And what does that mean? What does that mean on the part of the audience? What is the relation, relationship between performer and audience member that creates that space for audience to not only be in the room, but to expand their own ideas, to allow their experiences to be extended. So anyone who wants to have that experience, I hope can come to the show. <laughs> I love that. Yeah. And then Steve, same question. Who do you hope have access to this work? Same answer. <laughs> you know, I, I'm in touch with some theaters in the Midwest. I, I hope it gets this show gets done in places where there are people of other per political persuasions uh, who can come see it. Do doing a show <laughs> in the East Village in Manhattan cuts down the likelihood of certain audiences showing up. But I, I'd like to uh, hope that whatever audience shows up, they'll leave being a slightly different audience than they came in. But since you were used the word access, there is an elevator. change things up a little, get to know the two of you a little bit more. And I want to start by asking the two of you, what inspires you? What playwrights, composers, or shows inspire you or are some of your favorites? And Steve, can I start with you on this one? 
when I was 14 years old, which is long before either of you were born, I, I went, uh, I don't know how I'd heard about it, but I heard about a show that was being done by a company called The Living Theater. And they had a, a space on 14th Street and 6th Avenue, which no longer exists. And they were doing a play called The Connection by Jack Gelber. Uh, and it starred Joe Chaikin. And it was about a man who was waiting for his heroin connection with his jazz friends on stage. It was about wait, waiting for his connection. And in the middle of the show, the house manager enters the back of the theater, was Julian Beck, enters the back of the theater, and he stops the show and he starts yelling at the people on stage saying, you can't do this in my theater. You can't shoot up in my theater. And, <laughs> you know, and I was 14 years old and I looked and I saw this guy yelling at the people on stage. And suddenly it was like, oh my God, theater can do that? And, you know, it was quickly clear that this was part of the show in the way that it was, you know, it was something that was not part of the show that was part of the show. And then later seeing Pirandello's Six Characters, directed by Bill Ball in New York, it was, again, that experience of, wait a minute, what's real? Wait a minute, what is real? And those experiences of theater were really central to my thinking. That is, that's amazing. That I wanted to make theater that, that definitely broke the fourth wall. When I was in college, I saw Marat Saad on Broadway. And it, it did that for me again. Uh, not just because the actors uh, spoke to the audience or even came out into the audience at one point, but because it was, <laughs> it played with with realities. You know, th these people are in an insane asylum. No, they're in the theater. No, they're in an insane asylum doing a piece of theater. And to say that one can keep peeling away the layers of what is real as a, an art form was very, very important to me. I'll say one more thing. Something about the interplay of terrible truth and humor. I, I think the only I... novel that I've ever read twice is Joseph Heller's uh, Catch-22, because it's so funny and so terrible, to so terrifying. And those are, those are things that are uh, central to what's made me want to do theater and the kind of theater I make. Great, 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 great inspirations. And I, I've been like jotting down titles. I'm like, okay, I got to look into these shows. That sounds amazing. Jessica, what about you? What inspires you? Well, I concur with Steve about, about realities. Oh, I've, that's always fascinating and grounding. I'll share a formative theatrical experience when I was 19. I saw a production of Streets of Crocodiles by Théâtre de Complicité, directed by Simon McBurney, early Complicité. And it was one of the first really physical theater productions I had ever seen. And the scale on which they were able to work, the, 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 the vastness and the precision simultaneously. I just, I was ruined. 
And I went sobbing down to the box office and I said, give me another ticket for tomorrow night. And I did that until the show closed. Mm. And I just tried to absorb everything that they did through through my pores because I didn't know that such a thing was possible. That, that was sort of the, the inciting event. And I've spent the rest of my life pursuing a kind of scale and a kind of, how to say it, like... Mm, it'll sound really snobbish. I I like to travel a lot. I like to go to places where I don't speak the language. I don't understand the rules. I don't know where I am. And I just have to figure it out and survive. And I try to make theater that creates a similar experience. But of course, it's it's in a very it's a very different space. It's in a set amount of time, but theater where you walk in and you don't know where you are, you don't know what the universe is, but we are also clear. The performers are also clear and the design is so clear that it's like, we've got you, we've got you, but you don't know, you don't know the rules. So you have to, you have to stay awake and you have to listen and, and take in what is, what is about to happen beautiful oh my gosh i love that have either of you seen any great theater lately that you might be able to recommend to our listeners i saw a leopoldstadt on broadway tom stoppard's new play and in spite of the fact that it's very broadwayified it really gets by the by the end i was really quite taken and moved and i you know stoppard is amazing stoppard his earlier plays are so full of cleverness that you can get caught up in just how clever they are. But but actually, in his earlier plays too, in like Rosencrantz and Guildenstern or, or Shakespeare in Love and stuff, it, it, he manages to ask such deep questions. So anyway, I loved Leopoldstadt. What is your favorite part about working in the theater? And Jessica, I want to stick with you first on this. Oh, the people. People who will show up for far too little money to make work because they have to make it because they are compelled to make it. And, you know, I have a theater company. I have this group of artists that I work with. And it's just such it's such a pleasure and such an honor to have people who will show up over and over and over to continue to push not only their own boundaries, but also mine in so many ways. That I love that. Steve, what is your favorite part about working in the theater? I always did like theater, but I never took it seriously because it was too much fun. I, I was a physics student. Physics was clearly serious. You know, it was about the biggest questions in the world, uh, whereas theater was something that just felt exciting and felt good. And it was a way of being with other, other people. Physics was not about being other, with other people at all. It was about being with numbers and thinking, being in one's head. Uh, so the, it's certainly about being with people. But as I think about it more, it's not just not just that. It's that that what the people are doing, that that acting, that making plays is a space in which one is being with people who are exercising their hearts, that the medium of their 
art in the same way that the medium of a painter is the paint, is emotional life, that actually what they are painting with are their innermost feelings, truthful innermost feelings, and that at the same time, you know, Jessica referred earlier to what was striking in the Complicité work was its precision. At the same time, one is also dealing with the, the art making itself, that one is being very precise about what one is doing, that there's, there's a doubleness, I guess, in theater, always there's a doubleness. In the, in the Brechtian sense, in the sense that, unlike in a film, for instance, in the play, there are actors on stage, and in the same room with the actors on stage, breathing the same air, there are people in the audience. And we are all actual human beings who are living in a room together. And we are not. The people on stage are actually living in a second reality, a reality in the play. And we all know that. Those of us who are watching the play know that those people on stage are at the same time actually human beings in the same room with me in the same real time, the two hours that we're here together. And they're not. They're living in these other places. They're telling, they're, they're having events which are dream events. And that experience of doubleness seems really very exciting and moving. And especially because, as I say, the medium of the actors are doing is, is an emotional truth medium. It's not paint and it's not a note that's being played on an instrument. It's a, a note that's being played in one's heart. I, I find that very striking. Amazing. Well, we've now arrived at my favorite question, which is, what is your favorite theater memory? I told you already. I, <laughs> I, 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 I gave you several of those already. <laughs> I guess I'd, I'd add also, when the Living Theater came back to America in 1968, they brought four shows with them from Europe. Antigone, which was terrible because they really couldn't act. Frankenstein, which was really interesting because it was this big construction. It was about something going on inside of a head. Mysteries and Smaller Pieces, which was a bunch of theater exercises, which were really important to me as, a, as an acting teacher. And Paradise Now, in which they proposed that the world could change right now here in this theater. We could all just take off our clothes and change the world right now. And they did it at Brooklyn Academy of Music. And it was wonderful. It was, you know, it was terrible acting, a lot of it, you know, the, the, on, on aesthetic levels, it was just silly. But as an event, it was bar none, the best theater ever. That's amazing. Jessica, what about you? I mean, there are buckets of them. I'm very interested, though, in the history of Paradise now. I haven't, I wasn't around at the time, <laughs> so I'm so, so sad to have missed it. But, 
But so I've read about the history of this and that they started performing it across the country in, in universities. And by the time they and so that so they would get into the space and over the course of the play, this is hearsay, of course, Steve, correct me if I'm wrong. People were encouraged, audience was encouraged to take off their clothes and have sex if they so desired. And so word spread. And by the time they got to California or somewhere out West, the audience, the audiences were having sex before the show even started. Yeah. <laughs> and and the, I think it was Grotowski who looked at them and they said, you idiots, you have to perform these and you have to be performing in churches. But I could be totally misquoting. It might not have been, been him at all. I can't remember. I don't know that Grotowski ever opined on that. But, 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 and, and I'm not sure whether people actually had sex. It was that we took off our clothes and touched each other a lot in large piles. But my memory is actually, I was in the, in the balcony at BAM. And so I could see the whole orchestra below me. And because he knew what was about to come, Richard Schechner took off his clothes before the line, before, before the line. The, you know, what they did was they came into the, into the audience and said, I may not do this and I may not do this and I may not take off my clothes. And Richard Schechner, knowing what was coming, took off all his clothes. He, he was in the orchestra before anybody else did. That's that's my experience of it. So, but I, I'm pro probably true. But that by the time they got to California, everybody knew. I just think that the idea of what kind of an expectation you set up is so important. I learned a lot from that story. Yes, well, that's the danger of doing this program here, this podcast. You know, I don't know what ex expectations exactly. people are going to have of our show. We should have said something completely different. Well, we didn't talk anything about the musical numbers or right. all the tap dancers. Yeah. yeah. We left that out. Yeah. Or the animals. I mean, God, the, the animal wranglers. Oh, the, the scene with the frogs coming from the ceiling. That's going to be just so wonderful. Do either of you have any projects or productions coming down the pipeline we might be able to plug? This is yours, Jessica. <laughs> Well, you know, sometimes they say that artists only really have one show that they, or one project, like painters will paint the same thing over and over and over. So I, I sort of, in in a strange way, I, I'm obsessed with the, the human body and the fact that we all have one and there's nothing we can do about it. So I'm, I'm always working on body narratives. I did a show, I don't know when I did it, a while back, called Body. And that was sort of the beginning. I've been I've been working with actors over the course of many years to investigate these issues. But no, I don't have a title or anything formal like that. That's my next. That's my next one is revisiting that. And I oh, and I work on oh, here I, am. I work on a, a very large ongoing project called the Untitled Othello Project, which right now is in residence at Sacred Heart University in Connecticut. We're in a three-year residency and we're doing an immensely deep dive into the text of Othello to try to find a version of this play that could be performed without the same degree of toxicity. Not that we're trying to sterilize it or clean it up, but we're just switching the perspective because Othello really is not at the center of the play, right? It's it's Iago's play. And 
we're not rewriting, but we are cutting and in some cases reordering a little bit with an ensemble of about 15 actors. That's my next, one of my next. Amazing. Anything for you, Steve? Yes, of course. I've written a play that's a short play called Undertow, which is about a policeman and his family. And I think of it as a, a jazz piece, that, it, that it's, it's, a, it's not just the story, it's also a piece of music as it goes along. And it's about politics. Uh, it's about this policeman who later commits suicide because police are, because he no longer feels the respect he felt. And about his daughter, who's a political person and and talks after her father's dead, talks about how she he mistreated her. It's a short play and it, it needs a companion piece. So I don't know when and how it'll get produced because it's only 40 minutes long. So it's about, you know, a white police family, and it probably needs a, a black play to go along with it. So we'll have to stay tuned for that. Yeah. Well, finally, if our listeners want more information about misconceptions or about either of you, perhaps they'd like to reach out to you, how can they do that? For me, they can go to blessedunrest.org, blessedunrest.org. Or they can email me at info at blessedunrest.org, but that's all on the website. And for me, if you just put in my name, Stephen Wang, S-T-E-P-H-E-N-W-A-N-G-H, and you do a search, my website will come up and you can find how to reach me there. Yeah, I also have a personal, a different website, which is jessicaburr.net. Steve, Jessica, thank you so much for taking the time to speak with me today about this great and timely piece and about the wealth of knowledge and memories you have. I can't wait to see the show and all the surprises that we didn't quite get to that are in store. It, it, it just sounds like amazing, an amazing show. So congrats to both of you on this. And thank you again for joining us. Thank, thank you. you so much for having us. It's been a pleasure. My guests today have been Steve Wong, the playwright, and Jessica Burr, the director of the upcoming show, Misconceptions, which is being presented by Blessed Unrest, and it's playing May 11th through June 3rd at 122CC Theater here in New York. You can get your tickets and more information by visiting blessedunrest.org. So until next time, I'm Andrew Cortez, reminding you to turn off your cell phones, unwrap your candies, and keep talking about the theater. In a stage whisper. Thank you. Two friends from old New York town met in a foreign land. One sang the praises of Cape. If you like what you hear, please leave a five-star review, like, and subscribe. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram at Stage Whisper Pod. And feel free to reach out to us with your comments and personal stories at stagewhisperpod at gmail.com. Our theme song is Maniac by Jazzar. Other music on this episode provided by Jazzar and Billy Murray. 
You can also become a patron of our show by logging on to patreon.com slash stagewhisperpod. There you will find all the information about our backstage pass as well as our tip jar. Thank you so much for your generosity. We could not do this show without you.